0: Hello and welcome to Nevermind the Bar Charts with myself, Mark Pack. I'm delighted to be joined this time by Professor Phil Cowley, one of Britain's leading political scientists, co author for several general elections of the authoritative Nuffield studies of them, and someone who casts the net so widely in his research that I occasionally appear in his footnotes. Uh, now, Phil's been on my list of possible guests for a while, but I particularly wanted to talk with him now, as he's currently living in Hong Kong, somewhere that's been much in the news here in the UK, for comparisons over how coronavirus has been tackled in each place. Well, welcome to the show, Phil, and I hope all is as well as it can be in the circumstances with you and your family. Uh, yeah,
1: well, thanks for having me on, and um Yes, I think uh, it's fair to say nobody's having a lot of fun wherever they are in the world uh, right now. Uh, But I think, for various reasons that we will probably come on to discuss, Hong Kong has weathered the storm uh, slightly better than most. And I I think, you know, looking looking from here to my friends and family in the UK, uh, I'm much more worried about my friends and family in the UK than I am about my own situation here in Hong Kong, um, where although there are problems and it's Nobody's being at all complacent. Uh, I don't think it's anywhere near as scary as it probably feels in the UK right now.
0: And you spent a little bit of time in Britain earlier in the year, didn't you? So you've seen coronavirus and how society and government is reacting to that both in Britain and Hong Kong. Um, how have the two compared?
1: Well, I, actually, let's talk, uh, let's go back even further. Hmm. So I we moved out That is here such an Dad.
0: academic's answer.
1: No, 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 I know. Sorry, I'm very sorry. Yeah, let me take you back to 1867. Um, But no, if we go back to just after we moved here, a year and a bit ago. um, So not this Chinese New Year just gone, but the one a year ago. uh, In the week leading up to Chinese New Year, a year ago, uh, the Hong Kong authorities closed every single school and kindergarten Mm -hmm. in Hong Kong for a week. And the reason they did that was that there was an outbreak of flu. Yeah, and I, I remember—I mean, vividly remember—I just got here. Uh, you know, the, the kids not being in school for a week is a—you know—is a major inconvenience for anyone who anyone who's got kids knows knows how inconvenient that can be. Um, and it is fair to say that almost every Westerner I spoke to thought this was the most ludicrous overreaction. I mean, why why would you shut the schools because there was an outbreak flu? a completely crazy reaction. Um, and the reason that they have that reaction a sort of real safety first approach to these things uh, is because of SARS. It's because Mm. of what happened when SARS let rip here uh, just after the turn of the millennium um, and about 300 people were Mm. killed and thousands more uh, hospitalised as a result of SARS. And unless something goes really badly wrong with coronavirus, I mean, like really, really badly wrong, um, SARS is going to be a much worse killer in Hong Kong than coronavirus is going to be. Coronavirus at the moment here is on four people killed. Um, So something's gonna have to go very badly wrong for that figure to get anywhere near the death toll from SARS. Um, And that meant that as soon as this one kicked off, um, there was none of this, oh, it'll just be like a cold, uh, You know, this is ridiculous. Uh, The same thing happened. I mean, all the schools were closed uh, straight away. All major events were, uh, and and stadium and, and so on, were shut or events postponed. Um, there was a massive upsurge in sort of sanitization and cleaning regimes right across the the city. You saw it everywhere. Uh, you, going into buildings, you'd get your temperature checked as a, mm. as a really standard uh, check on people's health and, and well-being. And the masks just sort of flourished, right? I mean, it was, we, could, we could spend thirty minutes talking about the. The etiquette of mask wearing and, and so on, but but you know, if it says nothing else, it says this is serious. People are taking this really seriously, um, and that there was almost no um, complacency. There was there was obviously people didn't want the schools to be shut, but there was relatively little grumbling or resistance to this. Mm-hmm. If anything, there was pressure on the Hong Kong authorities to go further, faster, particularly when it came to the border with mainland China. Um, now, I don't think any Western society would have responded like that. I mean, I just think, I just think, if you haven't, if you hadn't experienced SARS or something like it, um, it, was, it would have been very difficult to behave like. That. And when, after a few weeks after it had started here, um, because the schools were closed, I headed back to the UK with my kids to see this so they could see their grandparents and, and other people for a few weeks. I was really struck by the sort of complacency in the UK um not not just because i suspect the government will get an awful lot of you know and ryan rightly so maybe a lot of criticism when all this is over and we're doing you know lessons in what could have been done differently but just on things like radio phone-ins. i mean uh, you know there was just this sense that this is ridiculous why are we getting so worried about this um uh, and you didn't get any of that here uh so mm-hmm. i was i was really struck and then 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 we then we came, we we then came back here we've been out back in in, in Hong Kong, where there is concern here now because there's a, they sort of got it under control. Um, and there is clearly a, a, a big uptick in cases caused by people returning from overseas, um, yeah, from Europe uh, or the States and bringing it back. Um, so they started to ramp up again. It started to relax some of the sort of restrictions on daily life here and they have started to ramp them up again.
0: And I guess there are three differences between, say, the UK and Hong Kong um, that might help explain the different reactions that you've just mentioned. One is sort of Western country versus Asian country. Another is democracy versus sort of democracy. Um, And the third uh, is having had previous experience of an epidemic within people's lifetimes versus not. I think some of the coverage, at least initially in the UK, tended to focus on, oh, well, this shows what a relatively authoritarian, centralised government can do. I wonder how much from what you're saying, though, actually the real difference is simply that Hong Kong, sadly, in a way, is one of those places that has had a, you know, has has had the opportunity to learn the lesson, um, in its case, from SARS.
1: I, I My suspicion, I mean, The 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 trouble with this argument that says this is what uh, you know this shows how uh, you know a a non-democratic government can respond and force people to do things they don't want to do um, in a way that would be difficult in the West. And I think I think that is almost certainly true if you look at the experience in China and you compare Mm. it to the UK. And I think I think that is is obviously a fair comparison. Mm. Fair point to be making. I don't think it holds with Hong Kong because unless people hadn't noticed, um, you know, leading up to. Mm. uh uh, the current problem with coronavirus uh we had the protests about the government in hong kong this is this is not a place with high levels of trust in uh their government i mean it's not a place where the government's been able to tell people what to do uh particularly for the last year we've had millions of hong kongers out on the streets, showing that they are not going to be told what to do uh by the government in some cases um uh and in fact, the, prior to this, the last school closures we had actually were because of the protests. So I, I don't think that holds at all. I, I, think, I think that there, there may be some element of that in other countries. Um, but my gut feeling is that when we in the end do an analysis of, of which places dealt with this well and which places dealt with this badly and which places were quick to move and which places were slow to move, uh, almost all the difference will be explained by whether you had experienced an epidemic like this in your lifetime. Uh, and if you have, I suspect that, uh, will, that will wipe out almost all of the other variables.
0: Yeah, and I was struck that one of the other countries that seems to be dealing with it, re- well, two of the other countries that seem to be dealing with this relatively well are Taiwan and South Korea, both of which have fairly functioning um, democracies, um, and that, that that doesn't seem to have hindered them. Now, obviously, the advantage that both of those countries have, a bit like Hong Kong as well, I guess, is that, you know, Taiwan is an island. Both Hong Kong and South Korea only have a border, you know one land border and although South Korea's land border is long, it's with a very isolated country and there's very little travel across that border so So I guess there may also be a geographic factor, although in Britain's case that would play in our favor as well and and at least so far that doesn't seem to have helped that much given the huge levels of travel that there is across across the borders and just thinking about though what you were saying about the lack of trust in the Hong Kong government. And as you say, it's not that very long since huge numbers of people were out on the streets protesting against it. Does that mean that some of the health, public health messaging has come from other key voices? Is it that it's leaders of the protests or other, or other people who are helping get that message over? Or is it just those 300 deaths were so tragic and so recent that it's sort of really seared in the collective conscience?
1: Um, I think it's so, so there's, there's at least two things I think first is that there was lots of pressure uh, on the Hong Kong government to move quicker in some cases. So, so there, the, the, the one of the fundamental differences is that there isn't any resistance to this stuff. I mean, there's, hmm. uh, for example, I mean there's occasional kickback on the economic consequences of some of this. So they've just announced that they're going to close uh, all the bars uh, well, actually, not, not close the bars, but the bars aren't allowed to serve alcohol, which effectively, um, you know, uh, may as well be the same thing. Um, and uh, there's, there's been some pushback on that, but, but only because of the economic consequences of it. I mean, if there was some relief plan put in place, there wouldn't be any opposition to the principle, right. I think, that you have to act quickly to close some of these things down, because there's been some evidence, in, particularly in one or two cases, of, of really quite severe transmission. Uh, in some of the bar areas. Um, uh, there's been quite a lot of what I you think you call sort of civic society messaging on health as well. So quite a lot of uh, university epidemiologists and, and so on have been part of the public health messaging. Um, but I think on the whole, it's just an, a widespread acceptance um, that uh, this needs to be taken seriously. And I think probably it is fair to say as well, that uh, just as a year ago, you know, lots of the sort of Western parents didn't really understand the severity, you know, why the schools would shut in the way they did. I think it's probably fair to say that quite a lot of the Westerners over here, not m- most, pro- many, probably most of whom were not here at the time of size, probably also didn't really understand, but the bulk of Hong Kongers did. They, yeah. just, they just got it, they just, um, uh, very early on, and in fact, probably before there was a single case in Hong Kong, uh, someone said to us, golly, this is going to be really bad. Uh, this is when there were some cases breaking out in mainland China. I think, and I think this was almost before there was a single case. And I just remember thinking, oh, really? But actually, they were right. You know, they, 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 they experienced this. They knew what it was like. Um, and uh, they were determined not to go through it again um and and so things like so i know in the uk at the moment you know there's yeah, restaurants are not open and so on i mean restaurants are open here but people are just not going out in the same way they haven't been for months there's been a as well as the sort of official government uh action there's been a right from the get go there was really severe self discipline on the part of you know not all people in Hong Kong but a very large number of people in Hong Kong uh, that they you know so the restaurant trade suffered almost immediately bar trade dropped very quickly um, uh, and uh, so it doesn't it doesn't need that sense in the that you have in the UK of the government having to try and tell people what to do there's a kind of acceptance here right from the get-go
0: I wonder if there's almost a tipping point then that In societies that haven't experienced a problem like this, distrust of government probably drives you towards paying less attention to the public health advice. But if it's a society that does have experience, then actually distrust of government may well push people towards being even keener to follow the advice themselves. So as you say, in Hong Kong, most people voluntarily going further than they've been told they need to whilst in the UK very much. I mean, I've really noticed it. I, I'm going out, I guess, every other day on average um, for a bit of exercise and it's been noticeable how it's taken a while but people are very much adjusted so that now it's pretty rare for someone when they're walking towards me and I'm walking towards them for us not to start shuffling to other sides of the pavement even when we're a little bit away of each, from each other and that wasn't the case even a week ago. Um, and, and I think that reflects that a week ago or a week and a half ago, it was a bit what is this odd thing the government is telling us? And now reality is beginning to uh, to sink in.
1: Yes. I, now, what's interesting is that although there is social distancing here in a general way, um, there, there's not things that haven't got anywhere near that, they're not as enforced as much as they currently are in the UK because the numbers have been kept reasonably hmm. under control. And so. Um, you know, you would walk down the pavement and you would walk past someone without swerving and creating a two-metre gap. You'd queue up in a supermarket and you wouldn't create a two-metre gap between Mm. you in quite the same way. Um, But that's because the earlier stages of this, in order to try to reduce contamination uh, and transmission from person to person, were more effective. And so we're still at that stage in Hong Kong, I think, of trying to uh, really contain it. Um, so you know it 's about quarantining people who might have it lots of testing um uh rather than just delaying it
0: interesting um i mean let 's hope that in their different ways both both courses of action from both the Hong Kong government and the British government turn out um to be successful. I think even if the current British government course turns out to be the most successful that we can plausibly hope it will be this will still be a major crisis that will bring huge amounts of tragedy and therefore may well have quite a big impact on the future of British politics Um, and I know there's very much two sort of personality types I guess in a crisis one who only wants to think about the crisis um, but for those listeners who are in the other personality type who actually quite like having other things to think about during a crisis, sort of turning a little bit, therefore, to the future of British politics. Um, I mean, now this is a really hard question to answer. What's it all going to mean, Phil? But it does strike me. <laughs> that it feels like a lot of the issues that, for example, you've written about with colleagues in previous books about elections feel quite small beer now compared to coronavirus. So, although... It has to be. I thought Martin Kettle made a good point in the Guardian recently about how, although the Second World War really changed British politics and what what we see as the role of government, the First World War had a much smaller impact. So we shouldn't necessarily assume we're in another nineteen forty five type situation. But what's your take on it?
1: Okay. So the the first thing, actually, I just to pick up on the point about the other thing. Mm. As someone who's now been, uh, so we're now in week eight of homeschooling here. Uh, uh, and therefore, have been dealing with this on and off for two months plus um, because actually there were, there were some cases before the before Chinese New year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would actually urge anybody listening to this to be in the camp that thinks you do have to talk about other things um, yeah. you know you can't, you cannot spend, and it 's not healthy to spend all of your time reading about. Uh, the virus about epidemiology about you know tragic cases in I mean there's, there's some of the individual tragic cases that you are now being reported in the paper are horrific and it's obviously important to be on top of what's going on and to know enough um, but I, I really would urge people don't become obsessed by this try as best as you can and uh, well all of this awfulness is going on to do something else to to read something else, watch some programs that are not about viruses, talk about things that are not about viruses. It's actually really important. Um, otherwise, it becomes incredibly oppressive, depressing, and actually frightening. It's frightening enough, mm. so you need to distract by doing other other things. I think um, the, the the fallout. I, I agree absolutely. This point about things that uh, we previously have been concerned about suddenly seeming utterly trivial and unimportant. I've been struck by that myself. Um, uh, Almost to the point of a sort of like a, um, uh, I wouldn't call it a a crisis of, you know, intellectual uh, purpose, but I have found myself thinking, well, you know, what do I, you know, as someone who writes about elections and, you know, funny stuff about voting behavior. I mean, it's suddenly this feels all terribly unimportant. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, um, I can see an awful lot of people retraining to focus on uh, epidemiology and stuff, surely. Um, in terms of the fallout, though, uh, I, I mean, I did like Kittle's piece as well, uh, which basically concluded that nobody knows. <laughs> And, I think, and I, think, I think nobody knows is the right answer. Yeah. It's, it's the only honest answer right now. Um, I'm struck by, with the exception of Martin Kettle's article, an awful lot of the articles I read at the moment about what society, how society is going to change after this is all over are all of a type. They're all of those people who previously wanted X to happen mm. that now say this is going to cause X to happen. Uh, so if you thought there was too much travel in the world, um, the world had become too globalised, then obviously this is going to lead to less travel and a less globalised world. Um, if you thought that we needed a more, you know, uh, less atomized, individualised society, then this is going to lead to that less atomized hmm. in, less individualised society. Um, and it could happen, it could.
0: There is one interesting exception, sorry, just to jump in on that, which is, I think, the big tech firms... So it's been really noticeable how the likes of Google and Facebook and Twitter have now started saying, yeah, you know what? We're basically gonna take editorial control over what our users see to a significant extent. Um, And I think they're right to have done so. Um, And in fact, I've had a bit of a spat on Twitter with a company, Wix, who have very deliberately decided not to, so they decided they're happy with hosting fake news about coronavirus, but other, the big tech firms, have basically said all that stuff we were arguing really stridently for until very recently, we're going to put on hold. And I think for them, I mean, credit to them for having taken what I think is the right decision. Obviously, for them, one of the risks is that it has now become normalized. If it's okay for Google to stack Google search results on coronavirus with accurate information from trusted health sources, why should they not do that on Cancer on vaccination on a whole host of other topics in future,
1: yes. But let's see what happens, mm. even there. Let's see what happens, and I think that's even more so with the, uh, the rest of this yeah. stuff. Now, what I, what I would like, and this is this is you know, I'm very happy to admit my ignorance here, um, but I think until this had happened, I don't think I had ever read and still have not actually read, and therefore would really like to read someone telling me ways in which society changed as a result of the last pandemic to hit Europe just after the First World War. I've not, I don't think I've ever read uh, a piece or a book, and certainly it never entered popular culture that I'm aware of, in the way that you might see lots of things about the First World yeah. War, for example. Uh, you know, I was aware of it. Uh, I can think of one or two cultural references to it. But by and large, actually, Mm. it kind of was just not part of our intellectual hinterland, I think, in a a way which is Mm. really surprising given the the death toll.
0: Yeah, and and certainly for for me, thinking back on what I used to know and what I used to think, I, I was aware of the death toll from the Spanish flu, but it was almost in a sort of, oh, that's the weird fact that occasionally comes up in quizzes, sort of way yes, yes. Um, yes, as yes. opposed to that was the horrific death set of deaths that caused all of these other changes there is one book i found on amazon about spanish flu which argues that it made up a whole load of impacts on society that people have neglected so i'll include a link to that in the show notes though not having read it I don't know whether it is a brilliant book or indeed maybe a book that you have read yourself, Phil, that we're politely glossing over for not being very good. But I would, it I would like love, I would love to read it. I
1: think I would love to read it, I, but I, you know, I'm. I think, uh, uh, and I, I, so I just have a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. So, so if you ask me, what do I think? I don't know. My gut feeling is that probably this will change things less than right now we think it will uh um, And that, whilst it will be horrific for anybody who personally requires, um, personally has, you know, vic- knows people who are victims to this thing, um, in terms of political life, once we once you move past the sort of immediate fallout of whether the government should have acted quicker or not, or which I'm sure there will be some fallout, my suspicion is that political life will change much less as a result of this than right now. It, feels like it
0: will i think for me the big question there is basically we have discovered a whole orchard full of magic money trees um and rightly so is what will the fallout from gorging on the fruit from that orchard of magic money trees if i'm not extending the analogy too far what will the fallout from that be because if there is not a feeling that there is a a sort of a huge financial burden that everyone is then immediately worried about paying off, it's going to be much harder in future to argue, oh, no, we can't afford X or Y, given that we have just managed to find huge sums of money, you know, on a scale. I mean, that is almost a factor of 100, certainly a factor of 10, bigger than the sorts of sums. Except, time. except, we, so, except
1: we, haven't, we haven't found the money, we've borrowed the money. Hmm. Uh, and you know I'm not entirely sure I mean I I suspect actually that the to change the metaphor the hangover from that Mm. will actually be much more severe than it currently Mm. feels I mean at the the moment the money has been lavished and again rightly so but at some point, uh, someone's going to suddenly work out how much of that money has been spent. And, and you know, I think there will be consequences from, from, from that. And that's, that's even before you get to the potential for there to be a recession mm. off the back of this, which I would assume is very likely. Mm. Um, I would say one other thing, actually, this is, a, this is not really about the politics of this, but about people people's lives. And, um, again, having been in this now for, albeit in a slightly different way to the UK, but for months, Um, which is that you do have to resign yourself to the fact that this is not a sprint. Mm. Um, You know, this is not going to be over next week or two weeks time or three weeks time. This is going to go on for weeks. Um, And you have to kind of accept that you have to, you have to move through the stages of grief uh, about whatever it was you'd planned and which is now not going to happen. And you have to just accept that and adapt. Um, Not least that you've got energy in case you need real grief down the line somewhere, Um, you know, this is going to last for months. And you have to kind of, you do have to accept that. Um, If you don't accept that, if you rail against it, if you try to live life as it was, but just, you know, without going out somehow, I think you're in real trouble.
0: Yeah. And on your hangover point, I think you're absolutely right. We need to see what the scale of the hangover is. And that will, I think, be quite a big determining factor in how much parties change what they view as being important in the future. Um, And I'm struck that I am still interim co-leader of a political party (laughs) here in the UK. And I'm struck, you know, in our relatively small way, how much coronavirus is affecting the way we do things, but also how people are still very much on that arc of actually, no, hang on, this isn't just about do we need to cancel something in four weeks' time? It's also about how can we operate as a party in six months' time or 12 months' yes. time. And especially if we basically end up being in the world that, as it were, Hong Kong is already in, that is a world in which we know when there is an upsurge of virus cases in the future, we might go into a whole set of lockdown-type measures at very short notice. And, you know, a world where, if, say, you are a parent with kids at school who knows at short notice you might have the kids at home for two weeks that has all sorts of more subtle knock-on effects such as the attraction of working from home for example it may well be i think that we have a certainly video conferencing there has been a seismic shift even amongst lib dems by which i mean as with most political parties these are people who are older than average um you know even amongst lib dem members zoom and actually Zoom particularly rather than, uh, has become the video conferencing platform of choice and one that people are just really suddenly used to using. And will we go back to forgetting how to use video conferencing once, you know, coronavirus, a vaccine is available and it's an issue for the history books? Well, no. I mean, I think that will be some, I think there will definitely be some long-term impact, even if the scale yes. is hard to, hard to judge. Now, you mentioned the importance of not getting obsessed with coronavirus. So I thought as a final question, um, what books would you recommend to any listeners they might want to make use of this time to read? So <laughs> listeners are um obviously my books and your books are ruled out as possible answers. Oh um, well that's um, I'm in, <laughs> I'm I'm
1: absolutely stuffed then. Uh, uh, yeah, so first of all, don't read anything about viruses. Uh you know, don't read um Station Eleven, for example, if you haven't already read it, which is a fantastic book, but it, right now it's the very last thing uh, I think you want to be reading. Um, I'm going to... All right, okay, if I can't use one of mine, I'm going to plug a, um, a book by a friend of mine called Agent Jack mm. um, by, uh, by Rob Hutton. Um, and it's about uh, the fight against... Uh, well, sort of about the fight against the fifth column in the Second World War. Um, and against the Nazis, uh, who were British Nazis, um, who wanted to spy for the Germans, uh, and how um, they were turned and used to Britain's advantage. It's a it's a really interesting book, um, uh, with a very interesting p- story through the middle of it. But it's it, more than that. It's about how the stories we tell ourselves about our history are not quite true
0: hmm awesome. and if any listeners after something that's a bit more in the sort of understanding politics category is there is there any rival professor you can bring yourself to recommend a book from
1: uh oh that well that's okay that's easy so um except i've now completely forgotten the title of it uh but we'll put it in the the notes yeah. it's the latest book by the british election study team uh jane green edfield house and so on um Uh, about voter volatility um uh and about how uncertain uh, about how voter volatility being triggered by world events um leads to uncertain electoral outcomes yeah Um, Yeah, and i would have thought i would thought the one thing we can be sure about is that nothing over the last two three four weeks has lessened the likelihood of voters being volatile in the future
0: let's put it that way yeah it's Yeah, I think it's the one called Electoral Shocks, the Volatile yes, turbulence. That's the one? Which the I one. believe has also, either its price has come down a lot, or maybe it's just come out in a paperback edition. Because when I thought of getting it a while ago, it was eye-watering. But checking now, it's currently retailing for a little bit over 20 quid. So a bit more expensive than most books, but not quite in the eye-watering category, thankfully. Um, but but I, a good,
1: you'll, you'll, let's just put it, you'll, you get your money's worth for that 20 quid. You get your money's
0: worth. Excellent. So thank you very much for that. that has been absolutely fascinating hearing about the differences between uh, Hong Kong and the UK, um, and also always good to hear an expert say, I don't know when asked a question.
1: <laughs> so, right now, Mark, right now, I haven't got a clue, and, uh, <laughs> and I think it's better to be honest about that.
0: Uh, excellent. So um, you could anyone who's listening who wants to hear more of Phil's Uh, expertise can find phil on twitter at philip j cowley that's philip with one l and you can find this podcast on twitter at Bar chart podcast of course if you like listening please do tell others about the podcast and rate or review this podcast in your favorite podcast app it has to be said there is almost no evidence that rating or reviewing a podcast helps it get heard by other people but every podcast says please rate or review us so let's go with the crowd and ignore the fact there's no evidence for that being the right thing to ask you to do thanks very much for your time phil all the best for you and your family and likewise for everyone who has been listening thank you and goodbye